This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today on the show, we're welcome Luke Pearson, herpetologist and researcher from the University of Southern Mississippi, who is all about the alligator snapping turtle. Even though overall numbers of the turtles have declined, there's more data needed to make it become a protected species. So today we'll talk with Luke about these creatures, where they can be found, and the story of how he captured one that weighed more than 100 pounds. Also, Dr. Major's here, ready to take some pet questions. Join our conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is one mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats every Saturday morning at six. So, good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Libby, any events that you'd like to share with us? I want to mention Park After Dark. Okay. October the 25th, that's a Friday, at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science here in Jackson and the Children's Museum. And um, it is a definitely a fun, traditional Halloween kind of a setting, and there is candy involved and all that. But you don't have to tell the kids, I guess, but... There's a lot of education in there, too. It's kind of the science <laughs> behind. So you'll learn about bats, and you'll learn about spiders and all the little creepy crawlies. And so there's some fun stuff. I think there's even some physical science stuff like dry ice. Okay. That's all, that is kind of cool. Like that. But like it that. is fun, and they do get candy. And um, it's that Friday night, and it's one more place. You know, Halloween costumes are a lot more elaborate than they were when I was a kid Mm -hmm. when we threw something together that afternoon. But it's another opportunity to wear that cool Halloween costume that your kids have got. And I will say adult Halloween costumes are very expensive. So that's another reason why it's good to have one that you could wear at other events as well. And I have noticed there are many adults at this event in their costumes. They rival their kids. So, yeah, come on out and don't be afraid to wear your best costume. All right, uh, so last week uh, our good friend Joe McGee was on the show, and we were talking a lot about frogs, and uh, we've got a couple of pictures, uh, including one that our friend Dudley sent in. He had uh, was a frog on his window that he was trying to identify. Uh, We forwarded the email on to Joe for some assistance, but also... Uh, Libya thought you and maybe Luke could take a stab if, if you wanted to try yeah, to figure out what that one might be. It's definitely kind of a tree frog. It, because it's night and it's a, with a flash and we're looking on the tummy side of him, he's um, he's kind of turned to white. And we're guessing a green tree frog or a squirrel frog. And we'll have to talk to Joe and find out. All right. And the other one is really a nice picture. It's yes. uh, well composed and everything. So. Very pretty, and it's a uh, uh, it's a green tree frog. Okay, and he's kind of peeking out between from looks like a a plant of some sort. I guess is that right? Am I looking at that right? That, yes. Yeah. yeah, I think he's looking out. It looks like some new leaves, possibly of a canna lily. Okay, that's kind of what it reminds me of. All right, and uh, it's, uh, you know, always uh, your pet questions are always welcome. Dr. Major is here, and I, I have a, something to throw out to all the cat owners that might be listening today. I think uh, we all like our cats because of sometimes their crazy behavior. It's funny to humans. And so I'm trying to determine if one of the things my cat does is his quirky personality or if it's a cat thing, and that is he loves shoes. He will go when uh, anybody's pair of shoes. It doesn't have to be mine. 
but he'll rub his face either against the bottom of the shoe, you know, the sole of the shoe, or he'll stick his head in, I guess, the hole of the shoe where you put your foot in and just will sit there and enjoy scratching and rubbing and that sort of thing. So, again, I'm wondering if that's just uh, his unique thing or whether all cats do that. And, Dr. Major, I know, you, you, you know, is there any insight as to why cats might enjoy doing that? Well, you know, good question. He's he's probably just claiming the shoes, okay, and marking them. That's what they do with they they rub their face. They have little glands that mm-hmm. can leave some of their <clears throat> pheromones or scent uh, on different items, such as your leg or the corner of the uh, door, whatever. And with three cats, they're constantly doing something like that, and uh, they'll rub on rub on you, you know. So that's fairly common. Uh, to tell you whether they're judging smelly feet or anything <laughs> else would be hard to say, but I think they're probably just marking their uh, the shoes. And I, also, you know, when you go out and come back in, you're picking up different smells too. Mm-hmm. And uh, even the dogs, they 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 love to smell your shoes and check things out, and uh, that's part of what they're doing. But I think marking it as much as anything. And that makes a whole lot of sense. I had not thought about that. I knew about the marking and, and kind of what both things you said. First of all, they mark it because, you know, he owns the house. But then you're right. If I go out and get all these strange smells, he's saying, uh-uh, I'm going to put my scent back on there. You ought to work at the vet clinic all day and see what happens when you come <laughs> home. Everybody, everybody, everybody's checking me out, you know, dogs, cats, whatever. Uh, they just they have a ball when you come home because there's no way to avoid, uh, to avoid smells. All right, got a couple of pet-related emails here. This first one says, looking for recommendations for flea control for cats, which can be purchased at a local store such as Target, Sam's, or Walmart. Okay, there's a wide variety of flea controls. Uh, Be very careful uh, with cats. Uh, Don't use the dog uh, flea controls. And and buy one that's, uh, you know, read the directions among all all things. Uh, The... Standard for a long time was Frontline, and uh, if it's working for you, continue to use it. Some areas, the fleas have developed resistance to it over time, so you may have to change uh, to a different kind, but most of those have Fipronil in it, which is fairly safe uh, for for cats. But be sure to uh, apply it according to the directions, and realize that if you, a lot of times if you put something on a cat's back, uh, that they can reach with their tongue, they will lick it. It probably won't hurt them, but they may lick until all the hair is gone and leave a ball spot there. So I would put it uh, close to the base of the uh, skull where a cat really can't lick. Uh, and just from my personal experience, I would say uh, do not use the store brand. The, you know, the name brand uh, flea medicine does cost a little bit more, uh, but I've found that the uh, the sort of the knockoffs didn't really do much for flea control for my cat, and so I've, right. I've switched back to using the name brand because it just seems to work a whole lot better. Right. There, there are some excellent uh, flea control-type uh, products, and uh, I would say that, you know, when somebody comes in and tells me they're using an herbal uh, flea control, and if it's working, I'm not going to tell them to stop doing it. Uh, on the other hand, if they have a problem, I would go with the name brand-type product and something that works. Okay. Uh, we got a couple more emails with pet questions, but also on the line, we've got one of the per- people who sent in the tree frog picture. So we're going to say good morning to Jim and Madison. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air with us. Yeah, good morning. I couldn't resist uh, 
sending the photo in after I heard the show about frogs last week. That's uh, actually a green tree frog on a new leaf of a banana tree in my backyard. Okay. Thank you. It's a beautiful. Picture. Yeah, it's a great shot, Joe. I mean, that's uh, it's, yeah. You, you know, it was tough getting or Jim, sorry. to pose for me, but. I <laughs> Yeah, you're really captured and peeking out there. That is, that really is a great photo, uh, Jim. So appreciate your call, and thanks for sending yeah. in a picture uh, to Creature Comforts. We really appreciate audience participation on this show. Uh, and that's the other thing. If you ever see something when you're out and about that you don't uh, know what it is, any kind of creature, uh, you know, use your smartphone, take a picture, send it to us. We'll try to help identify it uh, because that's part of what we do here on Creature Comfort. So we're going to go t- take our first break. When we get back, we'll begin our visit with Luke Pearson about the alligator snapping turtle. Got some more pet emails to share as well. And we've got some open phone lines if you have a pet question, uh, a question about the alligator snapping turtle, or a brush with wildlife you'd like to share with us. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. On our show today, we have guest Luke Pearson, herpetologist from the University of Southern Mississippi. If you want to join our conversation with your question or comment, you can give us a call. The number is 1 877 MPB Ring. It's 1 877 672-7464, or you can email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. do have a couple of emails to get to, but want to talk with our guest for just a few minutes. So first of all, Luke, thanks for being with us, and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, so if you would, give us a little bit about your background and, and how you became interested in biology and becoming a biologist. Well, ever since I was young, I was always interested in wildlife. Um, I remember my parents would always say that I was playing around in the sand and the mud, catching little critters, um, and that kind of just translated throughout most of my life um, until I got into high school and I thought, I'm going to be a computer programmer because I like to play video games (laughs) until I realized that I really suck at computer programming. (laughs) So I ended up going into environmental science, which seemed to it was my passion, and it still is. Um, I'm just... I feel like I'm good at it. Um, so, I mean, I went to the University of Central Arkansas um, in Conway, Arkansas. Got my undergrad and master's degree working with uh, freshwater turtles, the Washita map turtle, where I then moved to uh, southern Illinois. And I did some research with uh, reintroduced alligator snapping turtles. So I pretty much got paid to kayak eight to ten hours a day <laughs> every day for four and a half months. Wow. Um, and that just kind of brought this fascination with alligator snapping turtles and um, this this significant multi-year project with alligator snapping turtles opened up here in Mississippi, um, and I just, I had to take it. So that's what uh, brought you to USM, specifically uh, this study that you're, uh, that you're currently working on? Yes, yeah, so I specifically came to USM because they were going to initiate this statewide alligator snapping turtle research um, and, and I just really wanted to be involved in something that, to me, meant something and could be used in research to hopefully lead to uh, better understanding this species and being able to protect this species. Okay. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the alligator snapping turtle. You know, contrast it maybe with the regular turtles and, and possibly even maybe regular snapping turtles. Yes. Yeah, so alligator snapping turtles are pretty unique. They're, they're a very unique turtle. They are the largest freshwater turtle in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, they're capable of reaching well over 200 pounds. 
Um, I, I believe Mississippi's record weight is 193 pounds from mm-hmm. the Yazoo River. Uh, absolutely massive turtle. Um, and they're just, they have these three prominent ridges that run down the top of their shell. They have proportionally huge heads with giant beaks uh, that they can use to puncture and then hold on to prey. Um, and they're they're extremely aquatic. They live in the water. They almost never come out of the water. Um, if anyone tells me that they see a, uh, a snapping turtle that's on land or that is running across a road, it's almost always going to be the common or the eastern snapping turtle. Um, is it called an alligator snapping turtle because it resembles an alligator when it's in the water? I believe so. So I, it, I think it has to do with those three prominent ridges that go down the back. Like alligators will also have some of those, I think mm-hmm. they're osteoderms, that run down the back of their uh, of their bodies. And I believe that it's probably just because the uh, alligator snapping turtle has also has those large keels, the large ridges that run down their shell. So it superficially, if you just see the shell coming out the water, you might think, especially for a large alligator snapping turtle, that it could be an alligator. Uh, although the way you described its its beak and its mouth, the, the, you wouldn't be uh, too happy to see either one of those creatures if you were in the water. <laughs> <laughs> I would be. I love well, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so what, uh, what about their habitat? Where would we find them primarily uh, here in Mississippi? So they do have... Uh, pretty specific habitat. Um, really, they're uh, they're associated with river systems. So, uh, if you have like a man-made pond, uh, cattle ponds, stock ponds, ditches along the roadway, you're not going to find alligator snapping turtles in those places. Uh, you're, what you're going to see is you're going to find these alligator snapping turtles in the major river systems uh, and the small creeks that that run into those rivers like the Pascagoula River, um, or the uh, the dead lakes, the oxbow lakes that are directly off of the main channel. Uh, these are the areas that were once historically connected to the river, and you will find alligator snapping turtles in the river as well as in those oxbow lakes. Luke is our expert this morning about uh, the alligator snapping mm-hmm. turtle, so if you have a question about that, uh, about those turtles, or if you have a pet question, or as I say, we always like to hear your brush with wildlife as well. We've got some open phone lines, so give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, so look, give us an idea of their diet. What do uh, alligator snapping turtles mm-hmm. like to eat? Alligator snapping turtles will eat anything that fits in their mouth. <laughs> they have big heads, very powerful jaws. Um, I have seen them eat other turtles. I've seen turtles that manage to survive getting bitten by an alligator snapping turtle. Um, I've also seen mussels, uh, acorns, muscadines, persimmons, fish, um, I believe snakes, birds, waterfowl. Um, and probably the most interesting one was one that came from the Delta right after Good Friday. And he had a, an entire corn on the cob, <laughs> boiled red potatoes <laughs> in his stomach uh, before I got to him. So they will literally eat anything that they can get. He got to somebody's crab boil, that sounds like there. Oh, yes. Um, so obviously, I guess it's the their their mouth and the the pressure and the the sharpness of the beak. I mean, what? So how do they go about uh, catching their prey? 
Ah, so alligator snap trolls are unique. They are the only turtle in the world that has a lure. Their their tongue is pretty much a lure. Um, they can they can engorge it with blood, and the lure can go from uh, pretty much white, light gray, dark gray, sometimes purple, to extremely bright pink, which will resemble a worm or uh, maybe an aquatic insect larva. And they'll just kind of bury into the mud or bury under logs. And they'll leave their mouth open. They'll wiggle, wiggle this little worm, this uh, lure. And hopefully it will attract things like crayfish, uh, fish, or even other turtles uh, into or near its jaws where it can then snap them up. Um, but I've also seen when they're going for mussels, they're really just kind of walking along the bottom. Sometimes it seems like they just leave their mouth open and just kind of scoop up all sorts of stuff as they're walking across the bottom. But uh, yeah, they're the only turtle in the world that has um, a lingual lure, that, that tongue lure. Uh, what about their lifespan? How long do they usually live for? Uh, we're not quite sure. We know that they're long-lived. And because they're long-lived, it takes a lot of biologists in a row to be able to tell how long an individual can survive. Uh, we know that at least one adult has lived to be up to about 80 years old. Um, however, recent research, especially in, uh, in a Florida spring, suggests that they could potentially live up to 120 years. Um, so they're extremely long-lived, and this kind of creates problems when, um, when, when an animal is long-lived. They also take a long time to reach sexual maturity, to lay their first clutch of eggs, and when these adults start getting removed from the population, you see uh, significant population declines happen very, very quickly. We're visiting today with Luke Pearson, herpetologist from the University of Southern Mississippi, talking about alligator snapping turtles. Got some open phone lines. If you have a question about these kind of turtles or if you have a pet question for Dr. Major, you can give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. We'll visit with Luke throughout the hour. Do have another email here about a dog, I believe it is. It says, our family has three male dogs, two Danes and a shepherd. When the younger Dane urinates, the older Dane will try to lap it up as he's urinating. This happens inconsistently. Our shepherd doesn't pay them any attention while this is happening. Is there a physical problem uh, with these uh, Danes? Well, that's a good question. I, I don't know that I can really answer that. It probably has gotten to be a habit. Uh, we do see dogs that will uh, actually lap up their own urine. Uh, so uh, I would have to say that as far as I know, there's no deficiency or anything like that. And uh, I, if somebody has a better thought about that than I do, feel free to call. But it is it is unusual, but I have seen it. And I don't know a, a real logical explanation. If I'm not mistaken, dogs sometimes urinate to, again, mark territory. And so would them trying to lap it up maybe be somehow disguising where they've been? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I think it would be difficult to, to do that. But uh, it's probably gotten to be a habit, and uh, I'm not sure how it would change that. Okay. Uh, and but the, so somewhat unusual, but not totally un, unheard of. Right. Okay. Um, let's see. I think we've got a caller to get to. So why don't we go back to the phone lines and say good morning to Bobby, who is called in from Brookhaven. Bobby, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. 
Uh, yes. Now, I was calling about a question for the alligator snapper. Did they transfer me to the right place? You got it. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yes. I've seen, uh, I've seen some of these uh, alligator snapper on Homestead River if I had a face mask, you know, up on some of the banks and drifts and stuff. And they're in places where they look immobile. They've been there a while. Are they able to absorb oxygen through their neck or something that they can stay underwater without coming up occasionally to, to get uh, to get air? Oh, that's a good question. So alligator snapping turtles can actually stay underwater during the summer months for up to about 45 minutes or so. Uh, but all turtle species can actually absorb some form of oxygen out of the water. Um, and I believe the Homochitta River is is a little colder, if I know, if I'm correct, a little colder than some of the other systems in that area. And uh, if the water is colder, they don't need to use as much oxygen, so they can actually stay underwater for longer periods of time. But you're saying they do have to come up routinely to, 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 to get air, huh? Yes, they do have to routinely do it at least once every hour. Normally they do it slightly more uh frequently than that maybe twice every hour i i, I was curious because I, I found one up under a big stump and all and it was up in a place where it looked like it'd be really hard for it to get out to, to come all the way to the surface a pretty deep hole of water there you know but maybe i say for the home to the river six or eight feet deep and uh i i just am surprised that it, that it would come out of a place like that every hour and then get back in it, but I guess if that's if it does, it does. <laughs> but someone had told me I had read somewhere that they got have little uh, projections all along their throat when they're pretty inactive that they could actually absorb oxygen from from the water, like like turtles can do when they're hibernating in the mud, you know, under the water. Yeah, so we're not. I don't think that those projections on the neck are used for um, for taking water or taking oxygen out of the water. We're not really sure why they have those projections, but they can actually uh, kind of not really inhale water, but bring water into their mouth and their throat. And they have a lot of little blood vessels uh, that are in their throat uh, where they can actually have oxygen in the water diffuse into their bloodstream. And that's how they take water out or oxygen out of the water. Um, They can also do this through their cloaca, their butt. It's called uh, cloacal breathing. Okay. Uh, Bobby, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're going to take our next break. Uh, We're going to be visiting this hour with Luke Pearson, herpetologist from the University of Southern Mississippi. We're talking today about alligator snapping turtles and talk about some of the research that Luke has been doing. Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions. And if you have a brush with wildlife you'd like to share with us, you can give us a call. The phone lines are open, and the number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-672. 7464. We'll be back with more of the show, so stay tuned. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the day, herpetologist Luke Pearson. If you want to join our conversation with a question or comment, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Or you can email the show. Just send it to animals at mpbonline.org. 
If you missed any of today's show, one way to uh, find it and listen back later is to subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. That way you get to listen to all of the MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Uh, Bob is on the line from Collins this morning. Good morning, Bob. You're on the air with us. Uh, good morning to y'all. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. At the beginning of the program, uh, it was mentioned that the alligator snapping turtle would be entered on the endangered species. And this is what I would like for your guest to explain to the listening people is that he said that uh, this turtle would eat most anything and there was a particular turtle that he was uh, fixing to examine, and he said that uh, he did such and such a thing before he could get to him and found out he's been eating baked potatoes and all this other stuff. Uh, why is he killing these turtles to see what they're eating instead of just baiting them and watching them underwater? I think that deserves an explanation of examining the turtle so far as to cut open his stomach to see what he's been eating. I'm going to hang up and listen for the explanation that we deserve an answer to. Okay, Bob, thanks for your call. Uh, so, Luke, do you have to kill uh, a turtle to see what it's been eating? So that used to be the method that was used for a lot of different animals. Uh, I personally do not use that method. The The individual that I uh, noticed that it had corn on the cob and a boiled red potato in its stomach uh, was actually already... Um, accidentally killed by a fisherman that caught it on a hook. Uh, so I drove out to uh, Natchez to pick it up from this fisherman so that we could uh, use the skull in the shell for educational outreach. And through the process of preparing the shell, um, I noticed that it had been eating, you know, corn on the cob, uh, boiled red potatoes. Um, however, if, if I was doing a diet study on these, these this species, uh, what we can actually do is contain them in a small or large tub, depending on how big the turtle is, um, until they poop. And you can actually sift through their, uh, their fecal matter and see what is left over from what they've been eating, like mussel shells, crawfish claws, or even turtle shells. Uh, that sounds like some of the less glamorous work that a biologist might have to do. Oh, yes. Uh, so we mentioned at the top that uh, you once uh, encountered uh, one of these turtles more than 100 pounds. So first tell us that little story and, and what's it, what it's like coming face-to-face with these uh, pretty pretty bad 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 turtles that mean not well I don't know if mean is the word but they sound like they can be rather intimidating. Uh, they can be rather intimidating when you pull up a turtle that's 117 pounds and it has you know the head a size of a basketball. Um, it, it's a lot of people when you're when you, when you talk about a turtle this size, the first thing that they talk about is that thing must have huge powerful jaws that can cut your hand off. It's like well. When I'm handling a turtle that big, I'm much more worried about the super sharp, long claws that are on really powerful legs. And, you know, when you're handling a turtle like that, they can really cut into your arms and into your legs with those claws. Uh, But it's really amazing, honestly, to be able to pull up one of our traps and see a 117-pound alligator snapping turtle because nowadays it's just so rare. Of all the alligator snapping turtles that I've trapped in the state, uh, around 400, um, that's the only one that I've caught that's over 100 pounds. 
Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, uh, catching the turtles, what sort of traps you use and, and that sort of thing. And again, I would imagine they're not trapped and stay trapped. You trap them, study them, and then release them back into the wild. Correct, yes. So I'm sure that some of our listeners might have even seen some of my traps out on the <laughs> rivers since I've been doing it for the last three years. Uh, but we, we use hoop nets. So uh, they're, they're very similar to the hoop nets that are used in the commercial fishing, like the catfishing and the uh, fishing for buffalo. Um, they're just three foot diameter and four foot diameter hoop nets that we bait with fish. Uh, normally it's the invasive silver carp or grass carp, common carp. kind of, we're doing research on a native species while also kind of hopefully diminishing some of the invasive species populations. Um, but these traps are set in places that, uh, look like good habitat for alligator snapping turtles, like, uh, log jams where there's large stumps or root masses, a whole bunch of logs piled up. Um, and we go back every day, daily, to check the traps. Uh, once we check them, if there's an alligator snapping turtle in it, we will. Uh, I'll take a blood sample for an ongoing genetics project, um, as well as mark them, measure them, and then release them back where we caught them. Uh, so there is some sort of, what is the purpose for marking uh, the turtle? So we mark them just because we want to know which turtle we, if we're going to recatch a turtle or if a turtle is recaught, we want to know which turtle it is. We, we give each of the turtles a unique notch on the back of the shell, uh, and that notch corresponds to a certain number. So let's say if we, um, if I'm still here in 10 years and I go back and trap a site that I've already trapped 10 years prior and we, I, I catch a turtle that's marked, I can go back in my data set and say, whoa, this is turtle 264. This is how big he was 10 years ago. This is how big he is now. And we can kind of figure out how long they live as well as how much they grow over a certain time period. So you're able to get useful information both from a turtle that you've never encountered before, but as you're saying, one that you've encountered before and you can compare and contrast and that sort of thing. Exactly, yes. We're visiting today with Luke Pearson, uh, a herpetologist from the University of Southern Mississippi, about the alligator snapping turtle. We've got some open phone lines. If you have a question for Luke or a pet question for Dr. Major, you can give us a call, and the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. And we do have another pet email here. Uh, it says, I was wondering if there was a website or a product similar to Trifexis that worked just as well as I would get from the veterinarian for a cheaper price. I, f I found one on multiple websites, but wanted to make sure it was good quality. Interesting. Uh, I'm not sure that it would be the same thing as Trifexis. Uh, they would have to uh, verify that. And Trifexis is one of those that can be purchased uh, online, but it has to have a prescription signed by a veterinarian. And the reason for that is you don't want to give this to a dog that hasn't been checked for heartworms and it's not on a routine health care. Uh, the people that make Trifexis will stand behind it uh, if there is a break and you can uh, show that you have diligently given it at the same time every month. Uh, so I would say I'm not aware of a similar product in a generic form. Okay. Um, we are visiting today with Luke Pearson talking about uh, alligator snapping turtles. And again, we've got some open phone lines if you'd like to call in with a question or a pet question for Dr. Major. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464.
Kathy is on the line from Columbus. You're on the air with us, Kathy. Go ahead, please. Yes, I have a rain barrel full of tadpoles, and that's the first time that's ever happened. I guess a frog thought that it looked like a nice environment for laying eggs because there's a lot of rotted organic matter in there, and it was partially shaded. I think they're probably green tree frogs because the bullfrog tadpoles would be much bigger. But um, I'm afraid that maybe they came along a little too late in the season. I'm worried about the dropping temperatures. Is there, is there anyone who could advise me on how to make sure these tadpoles make it to maturity? So frogs and amphibians in general are pretty cold resistant. Um, their reptiles are not so much, but frogs can handle the cold a little bit better. Um, I guess as long as water that stays in the rain barrel is, you know, at a consistent level and there's plenty of water, that should... That should be uh, like insulate them from these cold dropping temperatures, especially considering that the the high temperatures are still in the 60s to 70s currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, so I don't need to invest in a heater or anything for them. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that they'll be able to survive. And um, be okay. sure and don't put um, any tap water in there. You don't want to top <clears throat> it off. If you have to, if you have to add water to it, it should be rainwater. Right. Well, nature's been taking care of that for me. That's yes. Yeah. Yeah. With. yeah. with six inches recently in my house. Yeah. So um, I was just concerned uh, with the dropping temperatures that maybe mm-hmm. the algae that they're feeding on may have stopped growing. So I threw in a little bit of um, boiled spinach, uh, just a little uh, supplement. And I don't know that's been recommended from what I saw online. Yeah, you need to be careful with very much of that kind of thing in a situation that you can't easily clean it out because you don't, Mm -hmm. yeah. You might do better just observing them and letting them be. Is it a a raised um, rain barrel? Is it up high? It's it's actually a large red feed bin, empty feed bin Mm -hmm. for cattle, and I've had these for years and years, uh, catching water to water my plants with because I don't like to use tap water. Yes. And this is the first time mm-hmm. this, has ever, yeah. this has ever happened. Yeah, I was but, just going to try to think about how high off the ground it is. If it's if it's low to the ground, it might even be a toad. Um, no, uh, well, I didn't see the eggs, so I don't know whether they were in a sack or a string. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, I, I think they're green tree frogs is my guess because that's what we have a lot of a lot of around here. Yes. Although of course with the uh, loss, uh, I don't know. We're losing frogs and toads. We used to have fowlers toads out here. I don't see mm-hmm. them anymore. Yeah, that would be good and if they were toads. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially if they're if they're raised rain barrels. We have some on stands, and they those are almost always um, green tree frogs or gray tree frogs in those. I get more gray. The cool right. thing well, about think, the cool thing about frog tadpoles yeah. is that um, when they become stressed or they start stressing due to either dropping temperatures or uh, the water where they're uh, currently living in starts dropping, they will actually speed up their metamorphosis, mm-hmm. and they can um, they can change into frogs faster. But they'll be a smaller size, but that allows them to get out of those situations and hopefully 
uh, for now getting into a place where they can survive the winter. All right, uh, Kathy, thanks for the call. Sounds like uh, that the, they're going to be okay. Just, and as Libby said, just enjoy uh, watching nature take its course there. Uh, we're visiting today with Luke Pearson, herpetologist, talking about the alligator snapping turtle. And Luke, uh, all right, so let's take a break. No, well, well all right. <laughs> we'll stay on the air for just a few minutes and then take that final break. Uh, but you mentioned the the mouth and everything, the way it eats, but you also mentioned that they're good swimmers and they have those powerful arms with the with the sharp uh, ends there. So are there, there are, I don't know, legs, appendages, I guess might be the proper word. Is that part of their defense mechanisms or what do they use those for um they likely use the uh the powerful legs mainly because if for some reason they do need to come out of the water um, especially females they need to be able to get out and to dig a nest so these claws are both used for eating so they will uh, while they're in the process of eating they will actually uh, jam their front claws into whatever they are eating to shred or rip pieces off um, it's a little brutal sometimes. Um, and then, but, but they will also use it to dig up. They can dig up muscles. Um, they can hold on to, you know, if you've ever been in the rivers around here and you try to stand on a log that's been under the water for a while, they're really, really slippery. So having these claws can hold on to things. Um, and then, yeah, just getting out of the water for females and being able to dig a nest in hard packed, uh, soil. They can they can really rip it up with these super powerful legs, super powerful claws. All right. So, what is the uh, health of the alligator snapping turtle population in Mississippi? So, because I'm the first person that's doing alligator snapping turtle surveys here in Mississippi, um, I can't really say much about what the population trends are doing. We don't know if their populations are increasing or decreasing because we don't have any historical information on the species. But uh, currently, it seems like I've caught a huge proportion of juveniles. So that means that, that we do see reproduction. There, is, there are babies being born that are then surviving up to a point where they can potentially become adults. So that's, and, and this is happening in almost every population that I've trapped, or every site that I've trapped. So we know that reproduction is occurring. Um, and we're hopefully going to see that all of these juveniles will eventually become these adults and then these large adults that we seem to be missing here in the state. Okay, let's take that final break now. We are visiting today on Creature Comforts with Luke Pearson, herpetologist, and we've been learning about alligator snapping turtles throughout the hour. And wrap things up with some more information about the snapping turtles and also an opportunity for you to send in a, or a call in a pet question. Or if you have a question for Luke, you can call in as well. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to wrap up Creature Comforts after this. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today, herpetologist Luke Pearson. We've been talking throughout the hour about the alligator snapping turtle. Um, and uh, we got a couple of calls to get to, but also we just got a an email here that has a picture of a turtle which has some growth uh, on its, I guess, uh, coming out of its shell. And so we were talking about that uh, during the break and a couple of comments. Dr. Major, you thought it was a goiter. Is that right? It's possible. Uh, it could be some, a tumor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a tumor of the 
causing the goiter. But anyway, I, that's a little unusual, and I would have to say that uh, this turtle needs some help. Yeah, yeah if, if uh, Spence, I believe, is the one who sent this picture in, if you still have that turtle or access to that turtle, I would highly recommend contacting the Central Mississippi Turtle Rescue uh, here in Jackson or Byram. Uh, they could definitely work on getting that turtle uh, back healthy and rehabbed and then hopefully released back into the wild. All right. Um, look, when we talk about creatures on the show a lot, one of the, the threats to uh, their healthy populations tends to be uh, lack of or a vanishing habitat. Is that, is that the case with these uh, snapping, uh, alligator snapping turtles? Uh, that's a good question. So in Mississippi, not so much. Uh, because Mississippi does have a lot of uh, river waterways still. We have a lot of river miles. We still have a lot of these oxbow lakes. Um, and, and at least within the Pascula River uh, system and in out some of the places out in the Delta, a lot of these places are still protected because they're wildlife management areas. Um, the main threats to alligator snapping turtles in Mississippi is really the uh, accidental bycatch. Um, these turtles, they're, like I said, they're, they're not getting hit by cars. They're not, um, they're not really losing a whole bunch of habitat here, but we do have a lot of, uh, trot lines and we have a lot of limb lines that people set on these river systems and, um, and, and commercial fishing will occasionally get them in the hoop nets. And what happens is alligator snapper turtles like to eat. And when you bait these hooks, um, and you leave them out, on trot lines and stuff, they'll either bite the hooks and get it can get hooked on the line, uh, or they might just be walking past some of these hooks, especially the abandoned ones, and it'll hook them on the legs or on the tail. And they have to, like we talked earlier, they have to breathe air. And if they're underwater for an extended period of time, they will eventually um, asphyxiate. They will, in a, in all essence, drown. Um, and, and that's the kind of accidental bycatch that that seems to be targeting these adults, which are honestly more important in the populations rather than the smaller juveniles. All right. Uh, let's see if we can wrap up the show with a couple of phone calls, starting with Emmett in Macon, Tennessee. Good morning, Emmett. You're on the air with us. Uh, good morning. I'm from Greenville, and we used to hunt those turtles. Uh, I'm sure we did some trespassing. <laughs> I was with somebody else and didn't know where I was. But, uh, uh, when we were children, we caught them in ditches all the time, uh, just around Greenville. Uh, and I understand that the dwindling supply, if there are dwindling supply of these turtles, was because of Campbell's Soup Company at one point in time. Uh, they had people rounding them up, and, and they caught an awful lot of the turtles. Another interesting thing that I remember, I was told that uh, a farmer dried a slough pumped it out and dried it and went in with a chisel plow, which cuts about uh, 20, 24 inches deep, and kicked up two turtles that were still alive out of the mud. Pretty interesting story there. Hmm. And I do have a question. How many years uh, uh, old does a turtle have to be before it can reproduce? Uh, that's a good question. So we're not... It's believed that at least females, um, they have to be anywhere between 13, 14 years old up to maybe 17 years before they uh, they can lay their first clutch of eggs. Uh, males, it's about the same for this species. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right, what you said. Back in the 1960s, um, Campbell's Turtle Soup 
had some pretty big factories in, I believe, Memphis, as well as New Orleans, where they would just, they would hire a whole bunch of turtle harvesters, and they would go out and collect uh, thousands upon thousands of these large adults and just ship them off at these factories to make the canned Campbell's turtle soup. Mm-hmm. All right, Emmett, <clears throat> thank you for your call. Uh, let's get one final call in, and it's uh, Mark, who's in DeSoto County. Good morning, Mark. You're on the air with us. Yes, I had a question. Uh, you were talking about how you catch them um, to study them and stuff. What what kind of bait do you use or, or methods do you use to catch them to ensure their uh, safety? Good question. So their safety is my number one priority. I don't want to drown these turtles. I don't want them to die in the traps. Uh, we use the hoop nets, and the back of the hoop nets are always out of the water. That way that they can access the air. Um, we also, as a secondary precaution, we have uh, large buoys that are in the traps. So if the water levels, because we're on rivers, uh, if the water levels go up, that gives us a little bit of a safety net. It'll float the back of the trap so that they can still reach air even if the water levels have gone up a foot or so. Um, but all of these traps are baited mainly with just fish. They're, they're not super picky. Uh, they don't like gar, but... Um, the invasive Asian carp, um, buffalo, I've used uh, filleted snapper, um, <laughs> flounder, salmon, my goldfish. <laughs> um, I've used all sorts of stuff, and uh, they're, they're not very picky. Well, um, I fish a lot on the Mississippi River, and um, you, you put your hoop nets out in the river. What's the largest fish, the largest turtle you've caught? Largest turtle I've caught was uh, within the Pearl River, actually, and it was a 117.5 pound alligator snapping turtle. <laughs> exactly, that's what I said when I saw it. All right, Mark, uh, appreciate your calling in this morning. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, wrapping up our conversation with Luke Pearson, herpetologist, about the alligator snapping turtle. So from what you've told us, I would imagine that they're kind of near the, the top of the food chain, the food web. Uh, tell a little bit about the importance of the alligator snapping turtle in, in the ecosystems. Yeah, so they are at the top of the food web. And a lot of people um, don't realize that alligator snapping turtles and all turtle species, um, they, they're scavengers. They, they will actively hunt. They will actively go after fish. Um, a lot of people like to say that these snapping turtles like to eat all the fish in their ponds. But if they're even eating the fish, they're eating the dead ones. They're eating the ones that are already ill that can't get away from them. Turtles aren't, aren't that fast. Um, but really, they're scavengers. If we didn't have these turtle species in our rivers, our rivers would be disgusting. There would be dead stuff everywhere. Uh, these guys just run around and they eat all of it up. And they they transfer a lot of these nutrients that are in our waterways onto land when they go up to nest. So they're this this kind of intermediate uh, species for nutrient cycling. They will take they will take all this nutrients from the rivers, from the lakes, where they grow, where they get big, and then they will transfer it on land when they die or when they. Uh, when they lay their eggs, which get eaten by a lot of terrestrial animals. So they're really just this connection between the aquatic and the terrestrial ecosystems. Okay, so final 30 seconds. Uh, how long do you continue? does the study continue for that you're working with? So this is, has been the end of the third year of my surveys in the state. Um, next year will be the complete finish of the surveys. I'll be in the 
uh, in western Mississippi within the Mississippi and Yazoo River drainages. All right. Very good. That was an interesting hour. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners like you. And to hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest Luke Pearson, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.